Our scripture today uh, comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, uh, verses 11 to 22. Um, it follows on our past two weeks, which have also been in the book of Ephesians. Um, it can be found on page uh, 1819 in your pew Bibles. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are called Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death the hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those of you who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Amen. Paul wrote this letter around 60 or so AD, uh, trying to calm some of the disputes between Jews and Gentiles or non-Jews um, in the church in Ephesus. What we often don't really recognize is that this, this um, fight between Jews and Gentiles, or people who aren't Jews, um, was incredibly complicated. There were over 600 years of serious bad blood between the Jews and the rest of the world at this point. Gentiles had exiled Jews away from their homeland. They ruled with almost complete domination for centuries. At one point around 150 BC, the Jews felt that God had led them to kick out their foreign occupiers and start their own kingdom because Gentiles had tried to get them to worship other gods. And so it became a point of national pride for the Jews to resist Gentile rule whenever it got in the way of their ability to follow the Torah. More recently, for Paul's writing, there were tons of revolts in Judea against Roman rule within like 15 years of this, um, including when the Roman emperor Caligula placed statues of himself in Jewish synagogues and tried to get the Jews to worship him like they would worship a god. The tension was so great that about four or five years after Paul wrote, there was a massive war that broke out in Judea between Jews and the Romans, which killed hundreds of thousands of people. In one telling by a historian named Josephus, this huge war started because a small group of Greeks started sacrificing birds in front of a synagogue. So just that small of a a fire started um, and became this hundreds of thousands of people died in that war. And by the end of that war, the Jewish temple was burned to the ground. And about 70 years later, the Jews were once again deported. Jews were barred from entering Jerusalem and Judea, and it was renamed so that the Jewish identity would be lost. 
Paul was speaking peace between Jews and Gentiles here at a time when the fuse was lit and the tensions were about to explode into incredible violence. Jews felt that Gentiles were a threat to their way of life, and they were stopping them from following God, the God-given law. The Gentile occupation of their homeland was seen as a national disgrace. Meanwhile, Gentiles thought that the Jews were troublemakers, who were fanatically loyal to one specific god when there were plenty of other gods to be worshipped. The Jews were disturbing the peace that they had been hard won by the empire in bloody wars. Both groups thought the other's customs to be strange or even immoral. Both groups considered the other to be barbarians. And yet, on the eve of a war that claimed countless lives, Jews and Gentiles worshipped together in Christian churches all throughout the empire. In Judea and Samaria and Africa and Greece and Rome and India and Persia, half a century after Jesus died and a few nights before Jews and Gentiles fought a bloody war, there were conflicts between them, sure. But they bore witness to a strange new reality where these two groups could actually live together as if they were one. For he is our peace. He has made us both one and has broken down the dividing wall, the barrier of hostility in his flesh. How did that happen? It's an important question to ask because we've had a lot of our own conflicts these days. I began writing this sermon in July long before the fighting in Israel and Palestine broke out in October. We have conflicts between different races, different ethnicities, different classes, different political parties. We have all kinds of differences and different visions of how to get past those differences. And those different differences can really get into the church, too. We have conflicts in the Church of the Brethren, and who knows, maybe our forum meeting will turn into a conflict. <laughs> <laughs> as much as we'd like to say live and let live on all these differences, in a lot of cases, somebody's vision is going to win out. Even if we're just trying to figure out whether we've seen uh, traditional music or contemporary music, it's impossible just to be neutral about that. Some kind of music is going to be played one way or another. Live and let live is a great slogan for a lot of situations, but not for all of them. The key unanswered question when you say live and let live is how should we live? And so often the answer to the question of how should we live is far away from them. It's uncomfortable to live with people that you don't have a lot in common with. And it's really natural just to slowly inch away from people that are different from you. And eventually you find that nothing's actually changed. You still have the same angry attitudes you started out with. Again, this could have happened in the church in the first century. The Jew, Jewish Christians should, should, could have said, live and let live, and started a Jewish church next to a Gentile church. But the remarkable thing was that they didn't do that. How did they manage? Now, the Jews and Gentiles were about to come to blows, and you can bet that includes the, includes the Jews and Gentiles that went to church together. This was a conflict that might have run right down the middle of the church. Christians might have had a family that were in this war. Hundreds of thousands of people are going to die. Jews considered Gentiles a threat to their way of life, and the Gentiles considered Jews a threat to their peace. A nice, easy statement like live and let live that you might hear from HR would have been laughable to both of these groups. They needed something far stronger if they were going to live together and worship together. They needed something in common that could bind them together, and it needed to be something new, 
The Jews couldn't just insist that Gentiles act like them, and the Gentiles couldn't, couldn't insist the same. Because why would one side come to live with the other if all they had to do was completely give up their way of life? As we see in this passage, the way that God was able to bridge the impossible gap between Jews and Gentiles was through the preaching of the gospel and the kingdom of God. A church was being built out of these two groups, and the cornerstone of that house was Jesus Christ himself. The covenant and promises that God had made with the Jews in the past were now being extended to the whole world, which means that the righteous reign of God had spread through the whole earth. And that kingdom would have to include all different kinds of people if it was really going to be a worldwide kingdom. You can't say Jesus Christ really is Lord and God of the whole earth if you restrict his reign to one ethnicity or one people group. So here's three ways that Christ made it so that two groups of sworn enemies would manage to actually live together. First, Christ made one new humanity out of two. As we saw a couple weeks ago, all of humanity, Jew and Gentile, slave or free, male or female, all of them were in the exact same boat. That means all of us have something in common. All of us were once dead in our trespasses and sins. Nobody was more dead than the other. The Jews had been given the Torah, but they completely failed to follow it. Gentiles were no better. From the start of the world, all of humanity has been locked in a struggle of hatred, war, and violence. All of that between one race and another, one family and another, one brother and another, having no hope and without God in the world. But when Christ was raised from the dead, his resurrected body was the very beginning of a new humanity. And this new humanity didn't belong to the old world full of death and strife and violence, but to a new world, which God was making where death and evil and pain would be gone forever. And crucially, this new humanity did not have any of the strife that existed between warring nations. He abolished the law of the Torah so that he might create one new humanity out of, in the place of the two, thus making peace. That means when you see your brother or sister holding on to anger, unforgiveness, and prejudice, you can remind them that the way that they're acting belongs to the old humanity. We're being built together into a dwelling place for the Lord. There's no room here for people fighting back and forth for no, for no good reason. It means that diversity actually matters for us as Christians. This is not a secular idea that has seeped into the church. It's been central to the gospel message from the very beginning. God promised in passages like Psalm 2 and Isaiah 19, and even as early as Genesis 12, that one day his kingdom would spread to the whole earth. It would spread beyond the boundaries of Judea and find its way into the smallest tribe in the remote, most remote globe, corner of the globe. From this tiny and weak little nation, God would spread his entire kingdom and the whole universe would praise him. And praise God, that pie in the sky hope and promise has finally come true. And our best evidence for that is when we come to church and see people from every tribe, town, nation, and people living here, living in peace, because we have something really in common. We all serve one king, Jesus Christ, and belong to his one new humanity. And if God reigned over the earth, that meant that everything would one day be set right. This is not secular. This is not the message you would receive from HR. It's the fulfillment of an incredible promise of God, which began 4,000 years ago, when God first revealed himself to Abraham, that through his Messiah, God would finally reign over the whole earth, every nation included. 
And the incredible prophecies have come true. Jesus Christ is King, Lord, and God over the whole earth. To say that the gospel just belongs to one people or one part of the world is to say that Jesus really isn't that prophesied Messiah. Two, Jesus suffered the hostility that happens between us on our behalf. When we talked about the crucifixion, we often talked about how it allowed all of our individual sins against God to be forgiven. We talked about that about a lot two weeks ago, and it's a wonderful thing. Because of Jesus Christ, all our sins against God are forgiven, and nothing stands between us and God. But Christ's death also means that every sin that was committed against you is forgiven, and every sin you committed against someone else is forgiven. What that means is that nothing should stand between us and our neighbor. Paul says in Galatians, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world is crucified to me, and I am crucified to the, to the world. In other words, since I'm united to Christ by baptism, when Christ died on the cross, it wasn't just that Christ died, but I died with him. And everyone else who is united to Christ died with Christ too. So all of us have already received in Christ the just punishment for our sins, which means it would be wrong for us to say to our brother or sister, look, I know God's good with you, but I'm not. I know God has forgiven your sins, but I'm not gonna. I know God has forgiven your race or gender or political party, but I'm not going to. Or what? Are you really going to say that you take sins more seriously than God? The God who made the world in peace and justice and actually knows what justice really looks like? You think you care more about the sins committed against you than God does? God came from his throne in heaven and voluntarily suffered the results of those sins in his own body. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead for every sin that hasn't been repented for. Now, God takes sins very seriously, but he takes peace even more seriously. We should, we should be angry about sins. God is too. But he is ready to make peace, so we should be ready to too. For Christ himself is our peace. He has made us both. Even us two races that are about to come to blows and brutally destroy each other, he's made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility so that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the Christ, thereby finally killing the hostility. Jesus died to make peace. He bought it with his own life. It is right for us to give it to him. And three, Jesus gave us a model for what peacemaking really looks like. Even in a context where two groups were at each other's throats and ready to fight for death, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The way that Jesus achieved peace was by suffering the consequences of peace himself. Whenever you choose peace, there are going to be consequences that go with it. When you choose to make peace with someone you argued with, you risk them having the feeling that, like they've won. And you give up the opportunity to really rub in their faces how you're a better person than they are. When your group is in a whole big fight with some other group, the easy thing to do is to rile everybody up with stories about how bad the other group is and how we need to do something big to get revenge. Everybody likes that guy, or at least everybody understands them. The hard thing to do when everybody's getting riled up is to stand up and say, hey, we shouldn't be talking like this. How do we love this group that we're fighting with? Or no human actually thinks like that. 
they probably have their own understanding of what this conflict is all about. What happens then is often the person who's trying to make peace becomes the enemy of everyone involved. The people in their own group hate them because they question their loyalty. The people in the other group hate them because they're in the other group. But it doesn't matter. That's what it takes to make peace. It takes a few people stepping out and being willing to take the suffering that comes with being a peacemaker. And that's exactly what Christ did when he bore the hatred that humans have for God and when he bore the hatred that humans have for each other so that all of them could be reconciled into one church. And while you can look at bad stuff that Christians have done in the past, the proof is in the pudding. All around us, we see old conflicts healed and mended because people have found their identity in Christ. Just by going to church, we see the evidence of that because we didn't actually live together and the old conflicts are almost forgotten. So this is how Christians have made peace in the world. It's not by saying live and let live, which often means live far away from the people I'm not comfortable with. It's by recognizing the consequences of crisis already done. A radical thing has happened in Christ's death and resurrection. The world has completely changed. It's a matter of catching up to it. It's not just a matter of willing ourselves to feel the right things. Let's pray. Great God, we thank you for making peace between us and our friends and between us and God. We pray that we'd be inspired by your example um, to, to make peace with those around us and not to cause unnecessary conflict. All this we pray in your name. Amen.